Today, Sermon on the Mount, um, the, a section is closing. This is the part that Jesus is teaching, his radical teaching um, on the true meaning of Old Testament law. And Jesus is bringing all those distortions and wrong teachings from the religious leaders of the day, namely Pharisees and the scribes, the teachers of the law. And then he gives examples, six examples, how he came to fulfill the Old Testament law, law, not to abolish them. That his teaching was so new to the people, even to our generations, that it sounded like maybe Jesus is opposing to the Old Testament and the New Testament is the only important thing. No, it's not so. The reason why Jesus will quote each time in those six illustrations, examples that you have heard, it was said instead of it is written. It is not the written God's word, unchanging character of God, but it is the distortion of human tradition and the rabbis, the Pharisees teaching in that. In so doing, let's look at what we have covered. That all the uh, 38 to 42 is separate section, but it is in continuity of loving neighbor, our neighbor. So we could think about it as the root of non-retaliation is not behavior modification, which is doing, mere doing, but inner transformation of character. Here's an example. Let's say Jesus said, uh, when someone slapped you on the right cheek and turned the other cheek also, that it, we've, uh, we clarify that it is more of an insult. The slapping itself is uh, very insulting to do, but getting hit, getting slapped on the, the right cheek, left cheek means the back of hand of, which is a double the insult. It is not just a doing the thing, but how we respond from the heart. And if you look at those four things I wrote, if our character is rooted in meekness, which is surrendering our, our rights and our self-will and stubborn self-will to God in humility, we are able to take the insult and not Retaliate. That doesn't mean we would uh, become sadistic or uh, masochistic in any way in those matter. But in terms of idea of the meeknesses, uh, Roy Hessian mentions that the way that you differ, differ uh, differentiate warm from snakes in the tropical land, and if you slap uh, step on the snake. It hisses back, rises his head, and hisses back. You could imagine that. You could almost visualize that. But worm doesn't do anything. 
stays there. Once again, it's not, not to mean to be a doormat, uh, not to enable others' evil doing, but internally we are feeling less offense because of our humility and surrender to God. So there's a two different things that I've experienced in my own uh, relationship with others, especially even, even you know, marital relationship that could happen. It's one thing to observe something that you feel offended and you take it in and you decide not to get mad, not to shout back, not to pay back, not to get even. So you could count up to 10 or 15 or 20, however you want. But what happens is you might not have, have done the behavior, but after a few years, something else happens that thing blows up even more strongly and spills all over that person. Meekness is that you know you could hurt that person. You have right to hurt that person. And you desire to pay back what you have received. But you stop. Strength and power in control of your humility to God. Peacemaking. If we desire to pursue reconciliation and peace with others, if that desire is there, and that pursuit is there, we'll be able to do the hard thing, do the unthinkable thing. Uh, rejoicing in persecution because the, all these passages are about, not necessarily talking about that we do not, we should not and must not just defend ourselves, which obviously that's a wrong interpretation. It's about dealing with our natural default heart mode of retaliating. So you might, smi- you might be smiling on the outside, but inside you have retaliated in some sense, like spit in the soup. So rejoicing in persecution is actually looking to God. And then connection to our passage this morning is a willingness to love our enemies. I didn't say ability to love our enemies. Willingness. Why? Because Jesus says so. We want to submit to his leading. And in so doing, we could overcome evil with good. So let's look at today's example, the sixth and last example of loving your neighbor. This is how this day distorted um, the Old Testament law of loving your neighbor. Obviously, loving your neighbor, love your neighbor, is repeated in several passages in, in, in Old Testament law. But you cannot find anywhere hate your enemies. The question is, how did they come up with that? The rabbis teaching that. So if you look at Leviticus, the whole law, especially the Book of the Covenant, 
was geared toward to the Israelites as the people of God. So there are several passages that mentions love your neighbor and love your brothers, meaning the same Hebrews, Israelites. So externalism, once again, trying to keep the law on an external, visible, behavioral level, what the teachers of the law did was since this love your neighbor is clear, let's define who the neighbor is. The neighbor are the Jews, the people of God, the anyone who's Gentiles, they're not your neighbor. Anyone who might be uh, coming from different background, they're not your neighbor. So conveniently, they had this made up an excuse to hate anyone who is not like them and anyone whom they despised. We could see that in Luke, a gospel of Luke, a teacher of the law and came up to Jesus to test him. What shall we do? What is a crazy command? And Jesus said, love your God with all your might, all your heart, all your strength. And also love your neighbor as yourself. And instead of saying, yes, thank you for teaching me that. I'll go live it out. And he said, to test Jesus and to avoid, evade that commitment, applying that commitment to his own uh, everyday life. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus giving example of a Samaritan story, the parable of a Samaritan story, as you, most of you all know, Samaritans are half-breed, half-Jews and half-Gentiles. And they made up their own style of worship and place of worship. And they believe only five first books of the Bible, Pentateuch. And they dwell on the special place of well of Jacob because it was nearby them. In Samaria, Jewish people and Samaritans didn't interact. They despised with each other. And through that good Samaritan story, Jesus basically telling them, this is a neighbor who's not like you. And to accentuate his emphasis, he actually made the Samaritan man to be the good neighbor to the Jew who was victimized by robbers. And even traditionally, if you look at Eastern customs in Bible lands and uh, H.P. Tristram, a paraphrase the Hebrew words this way. If a Jew sees a Gentile has fallen into the sea, let him by no means lift him out. Let him die. Of course it is written, do not rise up against your neighbor's life. 
Old Testament law. But this man is not your neighbor because he's a Gentile. You see how this distortion made them conveniently keep the law, love your neighbor, and they become self-righteous in their own view. Because I love my neighbors who are Jews, who I think like me, who have same values like me. What is its meaning, true meaning, and deeper application, Jesus said. But I say to you, starting verse 44, love your, na- love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the, on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. If you, have, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, there's so much going on in this short passage. But let's start with it. Just simply, the true meaning of the law is love your neighbor because your neighbor includes those who hate you, those who are not like you. So Jesus is not saying there are two commandments. Love your neighbor and love your enemies too. No, true meaning is love your neighbor. That neighbor is all-inclusive. Who might not be like you? Who you don't even want to greet? Do you, do you also notice that? Jesus covers the spectrum of enemies. So we'll, we'll get to that. We'll clarify who's your neighbor. So I, th- I thought about it as, as I'm tr- applying to my myself. I don't think I have neighbor, enemies. Who's my neighbor? Who's my enemies? Because I think of myself as a very noble person. And I want to be a gentle Christian. Most of you like you, like me. But Jesus covers the spectrum of that. Yeah, I'm going to hold on to that a little bit for later. Let's go to the Old Testament itself. Leviticus 19, 17 through 18 and verse 34. Even in this passage, implicitly, it is clear they cannot differentiate the Jews, the Israelites, apart from others, defining the close circle of who the neighbor is. Verse 17, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance 
or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In that regard, the Old Testament addresses, yes, your people, but even among your people, there are people you have a problem with. Okay, husband and wife can have a problem with too, right? Deal with that. And verse 34 goes even further. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you. In other words, sojourners, immigrants, with paper or without paper, illegal or legal, as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now let's look at Jesus' deeper um, application. Before that, G.K. Chesterton is always witty. And he says, The Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because they are generally the same people. So some of the, your physical, literal neighbor becomes an enemy. Very, very difficult people to deal with, right? But Jesus' deeper application is love those people. Love the people who persecute you and pray for them and love those who hate you. Greet those who are not on your side, the, the type of people that you cannot say, my people or my friends. From this passage, there are at least four reasons why we are to love our enemies. Pay attention to this. This is more root application, root of our application, then behavioral level. Verse 45a, it, it is to demonstrate we are sons of God. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of God. Okay, let's pull back and think about the general context again. The Sermon on, Sermon on the Mount was preached to Jesus' disciples. The people who are already pursuing and following Christ. People who are in the kingdom. People who are saved. So when Jesus saying is, so that you may be sons of God, does not mean so that you can achieve the salvation. So that you could become saved people of God. Not at all. It's almost like you know your dad and act like the son, the daughter that belongs to your dad's character, dad's name. Live it out. Demonstrate who you are. And some of us are looking at the sons of men. We don't like it because it sounds like a more sexist word, the only the, uh, men counts. The, this word, sons of men, is intentional because in Jewish 
context, the biblical world, sons of God, meant more of uh, heir. So sons only receive the heir, and that's why the, a lot of times that you are the sons of God mean, mean, doesn't mean that only the men belongs to that, but men and women who are brothers and sisters who are heirs, co-heirs of God. That's one. Number two, the sons of God has this attitude of attributes and characteristics of God. God-like. Like father, like son. That expression. So act like someone who has a characteristics of God. Second reason, 45b, to imitate our Heavenly Father. Um, this is concerning whom we emulate. So which, which means that this is also close, but Jesus' example is God sends the rain, not only the just, on the just, but the un unjust, the righteous, uh, and also unrighteous, the evil and the good, God sends sunshine. So emulate that. And if you belong to the Father who is love, whose motivation does not depend on the person whom he loves. Love because your father is love. Emulate what he does. Imitate him in his love. Third reason, verse 40 to six, uh, 46 to 47, is now comparison in contrast to worldly love. I would even call it a natural love. Because a natural default mode, if someone loves you, oh, you would love to love back. Someone greets you with smile, you would love to greet with smile. But someone says nasty things at you, the natural thing to do is to say nasty thing to back to that person. You get the finger on the freeway, you give him the finger back. That's a natural thing to do. But Jesus said, go beyond that. Do not do tax collectors also do be nice and be loving to those who love them? All oh, this is a very insulting thing, thing for the especially Pharisees and people who are devout religious people of the day. Why? Tax collectors were scum. They not only betrayed the, the nation of God's people, Israel, and they became a servant of Roman Empire, evil Gentile. And they come in, have power to collect tax much more than they are required to do, so the majority of them were filthy rich because they were able to submit the minimum text to the Roman Empire. And Roman Empire actually encouraged them, gave them incentive to do that because they wanted them to be loyal to the Roman Empire. 
even the tax collector do that, even the lowest class of your society know how to love them back to those who love them. And then later on, it's the Gentiles in general. If you greet only those who are your brothers, don't Gentiles do that too? And verse 48 is last um, reason why we should love our enemies. To be perfect as the Father is perfect. Matthew 5, verse 20, beginning of all this, Jesus said, I tell you, if your righteousness does not exceed that of Pharisees and scribes, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's mind-boggling thing. But the most holiest and righteous people of the society of the day was these people who are absolutely obsessed about keeping the law, but only externally. And they become self-righteous. That that righteousness was a filthy rag to God. And Jesus is saying, your heart transformation, your submission to God, inside out, has to be the true righteousness. And some of the, some of the commentators soften the word perfect. Because, yes, in Greek, the perfect has a meaning of mature. Or complete. So we could interpret it this way also too. When you love others, when you love your neighbor, your love has to be comprehensive, congruent, and complete in loving your neighbor and loving your enemy. You have to be sane. Yes, maybe uh, that sounds uh, reasonable to me, but what's dangerous about maturity is that this is set aside, a command set aside for spiritual elite. Oh, I'm not mature yet, so I'm going to hate my enemies for now. So when I really grow, and I'll someday, someday, maybe 10 years later, I'll be mature enough to love my enemies. No, what Jesus is pointing to Pharisees, the six examples of their filthy rag of their righteousness. False, pseudo-righteousness. And he's bringing back God's standard, which is perfect holiness. We are to be like God. In Romans 3, verse 23, For all have fallen short of glory of God. There's not a single person by our own effort and power of willpower to keep the law and to become righteous in God's eyes and God's standard and to enter the kingdom of God. So it is paradoxically reversed. If you are saved not by your works but by God's grace, free gift of God, through simple faith, live like those who belong to God. This is a radical challenge. So what 
what Jesus is telling us is, no matter what stage in your spiritual journey, whether you became a brand new Christian or whether you become, whether you've been pursuing and studying God's word for 20, 30 years, the Jesus' teaching and call to loving, to, to love our enemies is the same. We need to take this seriously, in other words. Of course, if we try to do on our own effort, we will fail. We'll miserably humiliate it. And which actually all this takes us to back to beatitude number one. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are bankrupt. In oh, unlike Pharisees who are full of their self-righteousness, we become there's no way I could do this, God. I am bankrupt. I'm not, not doing well. and I'm not talking about that. I have no power in me to love my enemies. That we will begin to experience grace of God. So in light of that, spirit of loving your enemies is on this. Be like your heavenly Father in loving your neighbor, including those who hate you, because of who you are. The agape love is the one who loves, has all the reasons and motivation. And he or she does not depend on whom he or she loves. Unlike filial love. We love our friends. We like our friends. Unlike Eros love. We feel romantically attracted to, 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 to the woman that we marry. To the man we marry. Unlike, unlike storge love. A family love. Oh, he's my blood. He came out of me. She is my just beloved princess, my, my daughter. So natural instinct is there. But agape love, one who loves, has all the reasons and motivation comes out of that. You know what that means? We don't have that source. So if you try to, on your own, to love those people who hate you, you're going to get messed up even more, more angry. But if you keep surrender, you're surrendering yourself to God, and as if you want to receive God so you could reflect God's love, then you will see the power of God work, work, working in and through you. Before we define some practical steps, I need to do the same thing I did with me. I'm going to clarify from this passage. Because when I ask you in the morning, unless you're in deep conflict with someone or legal issue, most of us, I can't think of anyone who's my enemy. But notice this. Our enemies are those who persecute us. So since we don't really like the Syrian Christians or the people who are in the Middle East or in China, and North Korea, 
we don't experience persecution, we should think about people who wrong us, offend us, insult us. Secondly, those are people who hate you. Yeah, there's people who hate for no reason or some reason that misunderstanding with their, all their gods. And they cuss at you, they curse you. So we, we have people have experience at least. In so doing, we should think about what is really the deep nature of that hate. Hate is still you're involved in that person. But if, if someone really hates you, and even our default mode is that too, we become indifferent. We raise that person to the book of our life. That's why when you get defriended by someone in Facebook, it hurts deep. I, I, I'll be honest with you. Did I something wrong? Do something wrong? And thirdly, those who are not your brothers and friends. And Jesus said, if you greet only those who are brothers, your brothers, right? Meaning, they're your people, your friends. And they don't usually greet you first. And then you don't usually, if you left it all on you, you don't like to greet them. You want to avoid eye contact. This spectrum of people, certainly we have some of them. So this is applicable to each one of us. So then what does it mean? In action, do good to those who hate you. And Luke 6.27 specifies, in other passages, Jesus specified that. And true love is not sentiment, but act of will. The command is not to fill them. Command is not to like them, have a good feelings toward them. No. Command is to act on agape love, which is willful love that seeks the person's good. So that's why, even if your enemy is hungry, you feed him, thirst to give him food. If he's injured, treat his wounds. If someone's dry, drowning, and that happens to be someone you, who used to hate you, save that person. Not because you like them. This is a part I think our postmodern generation people have most problem with. Why? Because instead of God's word, is sovereign and supreme authority, our feelings, subjective feelings, became sub supreme standard of what truth is. Being truthful means that being truthful to my feelings. So I don't like that person. I'm going to point to this one. I don't like to the person. <laughs> Sam, I, I like you, man. In order for me to love that person, I'm going to pray for good feelings so I could love that person. It is absurd. God loves us when God loved us when we were 
his enemies. When we rebelled against God. So love in action is practical, humble, sacrificial service. And this is how God treated us while we're his enemies. In words, in Luke 6, 28, Jesus specifically said, Bless those who curse you. Not because you have a good feelings and warm thoughts for that person. Bless that person because you belong to Father, Heavenly Father. Reply harsh words with kind words and also greet them. Don't avoid their eye contact. Wish them well while they wish you harm. And this is what Christ has done to those who cursed him. In prayers, Pray for those who persecute you, verse 44, and it's repeated in Luke chapter 6, verse 28 as well. What do we pray? What do I pray for? Pray for God's mercy and pity on them. Pray that God will deliver them from evil. This is what Christ has done on the cross. You know what that means? In the spectrum of our enemies, we ought to pray for people of ISIS. Muslims. And some of you hate even the type of people. And this confusing political world right now, as you, I just, a lot of things bother me when I see social media and in the name of evangelicals as well. We ought to pray for those people who are just Absurd to our standard. Let me remind you again. Our motivation is not to be better person than they. Not to give ourselves brownie points. No, because our Father is love. And that we ought to act like sons, heirs. The people have a characteristics of God in our everyday life. That's what it means to be true Christ follower. There are some people like me Maybe some people will relate to this, especially in my younger days. When I'm getting older, I, I, am, I become annoyed by a lot of things. That I, <laughs> but all my life, generally, I, because of my personality temperament, not because of my character is good, I was able to let go easily. Not until I met this person. I met this person is it, is it during the 80s. My mom was trying to, to start a family business, a cafeteria in an office building. And this man conned my mom. And she lost $40,000 on the spot because he lied on it. So in order for me to try to get back, I decided to, his reasoning is that my mom is not qualified to run the business. DA office called us and then 
her, my mom's case is a 20-some cases. So in other words, this guy is a professional con man. On top of that, what drove me up the wall is he's a white-collar con man. So his manner and attitude, he was so delicate about how not to offend others in manner. I really literally want to punch him. I, I never knew I could hate someone that much. But what is me, my mom bragged about her son, who's in youth ministry, who's a godly young man who wants to glorify God. So during those two weeks trial time that, that I, I would report to the, his work, and I worked with him so many times, I, I just wanted to use some cuss words to just get at him, right? Let me just say one uh, the name of Jesus will be ruined here. Dishonored. I can't do that. So what I did is a behavior modification happened. Passive uh, obedience that inside I just hated him. I, it just ate me up. I erased that person out of my book as we move on. And I encountered these kind of passages. The nudging of the Holy Spirit happens. Do you know that you did that to God, your Heavenly Father, and He forgave you? And Jesus died on the cross for that particular sin. So I want you to know my beginning journey of loving, other, loving my neighbors and loving my enemies was excruciatingly painful. I had to forgive him over and over, over and over to release my rights to get even with that person. So in, in calling each one of us to obey uh, this command, this radical teaching, I am not saying just believe and everything will come through at all. But I will, I will promise you this, that you will experience grace of God that you never experienced before. That you will see your own enmity toward God that how God has been merciful to you. John Chrysostom was a church father in 4th century. And he writes, uh, this is a paraphrase, John Stott paraphrases it. He, he writes and that... Uh, Sacrificial love for enemies is a summit of self-control, not to retaliate. And he writes, first, do this. Second, do this. I just numbered them. Number one, we are not to take any evil initiative ourselves. In order for us to be clear about what it means to love our neighbors. Two, we are not to avenge others' evil. Three, we are, not, we are to be quiet. 
Four, we are to suffer wrongfully. Number five, we are to surrender to the evildoer even more than he demands. Number six, we are not to hate him. Number seven, we are to love him. Number eight, we are to do him good. And number nine, we are to entreat God himself on his behalf. So application, I have two simple suggestions. Number one, let's choose the way of the cross rather than the way of the world in loving others, including our enemies. 1 Corinthians 1.18, this is our church theme verse as well, from which we got our church name, cross way, the way of the cross. For the word of the cross is folly, foolishness, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So remember this as you take the steps toward obedience to loving our enemies, it will look very nonsensical, moronic, foolish to the, to the evil world. But you know, as you're obeying, you will experience the power of God. Be radically different. Be radically countercultural in loving others. And second, and lastly, we're to look to the cross for power to love when we can't. Romans 5, verse 8, 10, 8 and 10. This is God's example and Christ's example. But God shows his love for us in that while we're still sinners. While, while we were still enemies. Christ died for us. For if we were enemies, we, 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 when we... If, I'm sorry. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. There will be a point, especially the people who hurt you deeply. Like I said, you will put your hands up and say, I can't. This is beyond me. Would you remember the cross? Look to the cross. What God has done for you. And there will be a power to love there. As you humble yourself, God's grace and God's agape love will flow in. And think of loving our neighbor as reflecting that love to that person. My example is minimal. Because compared to other people who are abused, uh, sexually molested, and so all kinds of different gruesome stories about your loved ones beheaded, think about all that. But I do get inspired every time when I 
read her words. There was a, after uh, World War II, this Dutch lady, Christian by the name of Corey Tambum, wrote a book called Hiding Place, which was a phenomenal, powerful, because it was a real story. See, he, uh, she, although she was not Jew, as a Dutch Christian, uphold the word of Christ, word of God, and help save all these Jews. And she got caught finally, and she and her sister, Betsy, were in concentration camp, the notorious camp that they were naked in front of the guards and walked by the, because they're so thin, and they're treated as non-human beings. If they die, and they will take that human oil and make the soaps. The war was over, and she was released. Betsy didn't make it. She died in the camp. And she wrote the book, and she proclaimed God's love. And at one church, she held a meeting and taught and shared her story of love, God's love. How she survived. How she gladly sacrificed to save Jewish people. And after her talk, people lined up to say hi, to say thank you. And then she saw this man, tall, and well-built, heavy-set, and she recognized him instantaneously. He was one of the guards. He did not remember her. And she, he came up to her finally and said, the, the, camp, the uh, prison camp that you mentioned, I was one of the guards. Since then, I became a Christian. Would you forgive me? And then man stretched out his hand toward her. And I want to let her use her words. Corey Templeton writes, and I stood there, and I could and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could could he erase her slow, terrible death? Simply for the asking. It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. And still, I stood there with coldness of clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness, forgiveness is, is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can't lift my hand. I can't do that. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing 
took place. The current started in my shoulder, raised down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. You see the paradoxical side of Jesus' teaching? Corey Tembom's obedience by faith, what, is, what could be impossible to a human being, God used that, the breakthrough of experiencing God's love even deeper. Don't get me wrong, not all of our enemies will ask for forgiveness even have a remorse. They will even do more. But remember, the motive and motivation of a love should not depend on the person. We are to reflect God's love because God is love. Even so, even our enemies do not repent and become come around and warm to us, if that never happens, God is still good. God will honor our decisions and allow us supernatural power. Let's pray. Before I close, with prayer, just your heads about, no one looking around. I just want to simply ask, is there a person that the Holy Spirit brought to mind? Or is there a step the Holy Spirit prompted you that you ought to do this as a first step. Would you look to the cross and say yes? And I would love to pray with you and for you after the service. And if you feel that Holy Spirit, God has spoken to you, you really want um, to take the first step, I want to agree, agree with you and pray for you. So lo, don't let it slide by. Father, thank you for loving us when we are your enemies. And thank you that, Jesus, you called us with this radical teaching to love our enemies. Holy Spirit, thank you for promising that you will supply the power that we do not have. And teach us to love those who are indifferent to us, 
who say nasty things to us, mistreat us, and even persecute us. And we pray that the Christ's name and glory will be exalted in so doing. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.